Welcome to the Yogi MD podcast. It's Nadine, yoga teacher, health coach, and retired doctor, here to bring you and your body together, not in sickness, but in health. Thanks for taking this time for yourself. Today, I'm pleased to welcome Ryan Glatt, who is a psychometrist and brain health coach at the Brain Health Center in the Pacific Neuroscience Institute. I am so very pleased that you have agreed to join me here today. I read with great interest your article regarding brain exercises, combining that with physical fitness um, to improve focus and memory, amongst other things, and my IDEA fitness journal a couple of months ago. Absolutely. Well, happy to be here, and thanks for having me. This is something I had never really heard about, and I'm sure not many people are familiar with. Brain health coaching, what is that? Yeah, I, I would agree with you. Not many people have heard of it because I wouldn't even say that brain health coaching is an established field. Um, I wouldn't say there's any standardization, but I would say that health coaching specifically does have uh, an uprising of those things. And so we have you know, the International Council of Health and Wellness Coaches that's being put in place to make sure that health coaching standards are up to date and people are uh, remaining credible with uh, the type of information and education they're giving to people that are becoming health coaches. And before I was working for the Pacific Neuroscience Institute, I was a health coach and still am a health coach, uh, but really just wanted to focus on helping people with brain-related or brain-specific outcomes. So for example, I had a client that was referred to me by a psychologist, and he has he has severe anxiety, and he's exercising, he's eating well, but none of those things were specific to his anxiety. So for example, one of the things I did was customize his exercise prescription based on research to be centered around what has been shown to be effective for symptoms of anxiety. There's the personal training or the fitness instruction aspect of it in working with populations like Parkinson's disease, autism spectrum disorder, people with concussion or traumatic brain injury or stroke. And I'm currently working at the Pacific Brain Health Center in collaboration with psychiatrists, neuropsychologists, and neurologists to work with patients that come into the clinic to provide this brain health coaching. And so to give it another definition, brain health coaching would just be the promotion of health behaviors or lifestyle behaviors that contribute to overall brain health based in evidence. So do you find that uh, your clients have responded more to the motivation of wanting to make the idea of regular exercise a part of their lives based on the fact that it is so tied in with brain health? Absolutely. And I think the most common thing is that people are already convinced that they, they need to exercise and that they love exercise but they don't have the specifics figured out. So I might have someone who's done everything they can nutrition-wise, and they might say, oh yeah, I do Pilates three times a week. That is a single modality, and you need a variety of modalities. Mm -hmm. your, your heart rate's not getting up. Not that Pilates is bad, but if the interest was brain health and not just toning and staying in shape and doing a modality you love, right? Maybe because mm -hmm. it's social or that that client has a specific value that she attaches to Pilates, whatever it may be. What really matters is, is this person in, engaging in what we call multimodal 
exercise and physical activity plan. Some cardiovascular modalities, some resistance training or strength training modalities. It could also be, um, you know, some motor fitness uh, related uh, modalities, which includes motor skill training, motor learning. It includes the cognitive physical training that we'll talk about later modified based on their fall risk, their experience in exercise and physical activity. It should be modified based on what their preferences are because research shows that if you don't enjoy it, you're not going to get those brain benefits. So I would say everyone's open to it. However, I'm in Santa Monica and probably admittedly one of the most active places ever. Uh, Well, I'm really glad you brought that point up because um, I live in the Midwest and my clientele is principally an older population. I would say older than 50, not to insult anyone generally. And the challenge here in this region is the weather. And specifically, sometimes it's difficult to get outside because of snow and ice, especially if you're older and you're afraid of falling. And then, quite frankly, the lack of sunlight I was about to lead a yoga class a couple of weeks ago, and I always ask everyone for special requests before we start. And one of the things that someone brought up and then others started piping in, yes, please, was, gosh, this lack of sunlight for the last few days is really making me feel lethargic. And so can we do something today that might increase our energy? And Wow. So yeah, that's great. You, yes, now, so how would you talk to people who have this very real challenge in my region to be motivated to exercise regularly. Absolutely. Well, I think it's a multi-pronged question, but it's one I'm excited about. So just to talk about what I would do in that situation where someone's asking for lights, which once again, Santa Monica don't have that problem. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, I might coach someone, hey, you know, go on Amazon and buy this thing called a light book, which is $20 and it's white light. And mm-hmm. you can put it on your desk as you're working or drinking coffee when you wake up. And then on the nutrition side, you could, of course, of course coach uh, nutrients related to that exposure, the most obvious one being vitamin D. And then I would say in order to get people who are sedentary, and are we talking about completely sedentary? They've never exercised in their lives or they don't have structured exercise. Is that what you're talking about? I would really speak to either one. I run into both. So, I mean, the good news is that usually when someone is completely sedentary, right when you start to get them active, there's going to be more compounded benefits than if I took an experienced exerciser and put them through an intervention. And especially in the aging population, there's a few main fears. Uh, I don't want to fall. I don't want to die alone. I don't want to be a burden. And I don't Mm want to lose my mind or my memory. The more you exercise and the more multiple modalities you have. And if you have a sound program, you're less likely to fall. You're less likely to be alone because you're out moving. You might be in a group class, which is more socialization. You can mm-hmm. move with your grandkids and have an intergenerational contact. We, mm-hmm. know the, we know the effects of exercise on brain health are wide and diverse and beneficial. But digressing back to how do we actually get that person to do it, it's very small changes based off their preference. And so mm-hmm. a good example would be What's, what's an activity you used to do that you no longer do? Oh, I used to love dancing. I'm like, perfect. I'm so happy you said that because not only is dancing a great form of exercise and you're moving in different directions and you really have to stay light on your feet. And then also it has this cognitive component simultaneously, especially if you're interacting with a partner 
And then you have that social contact, right? And there's some neurotransmitters released with being able to touch and move with and connect with another person. And so, so what, you're, what you're also saying, too, is that your um, brain health is intricately um, intertwined with your physical health habits. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We, there's research showing that the parts of our brain responsible for thinking and talking happen to be same brain regions responsible for moving. And so these things occurred in evolution in tandem, not separately. You know, the smaller, the better for, for behavior change's sake. And I work with a company called the Institute of Motion who teaches health coaching. And they have a great phrase that says, better beats perfect every time. So can you provide a few more examples of specific exercises and how you would modify them for different clients based on their different physical and cognitive needs in the context of a training session? So let's say I have a 70-year-old female client that is worried about her memory and she's experienced some you know, subjective memory issues in the past. And she, she heard, hears about what we're doing, she comes to our center, um, and she sees some of the physicians. She gets all of her diagnostics, cognitive testing, brain imaging, uh, blood tests, all of that done. And once she goes through that intake process, which is very extensive, we have an hour intake and interview process before we do anything um, to decide if they're a good fit and how much mm -hmm. what they'll be doing inside the clinic, if at all, what they'll be doing outside the clinic, which is really where I try to push people because I don't like people to rely on an appointment. I want them to set up a lifestyle. Now, if even if I'm doing the best possible cognitive physical exercises, which I think I should explain before I go into what we actually do in the sessions, you know, the, the dose response required of certain types of physical activity and exercise uh, may not just be one session. The more practice you have and the more stimulation you have to your brain and body, the better. And so we, we're not going to say, hey, show up once and we're creating neuroplasticity. Brain tissue is still tissue, and we wouldn't expect the hypertrophy of muscle tissues to grow in one week or two weeks. We give it six to eight weeks maybe, right? Um, assuming that everything else is in check, assuming that you're eating and that you're sleeping and uh, all those other aspects of your health are in check. So the brain's sort of similar where we're not gonna expect any real results for a couple months at least. And then cognitive changes, you know, changes in your attention, memory, processing speed, whatever they might be, measurably for another three months at the minimum. We don't really retest things for another 12 months. Once we have that set up, you know, I want my plan to be considerate of their physical abilities, like you mentioned. Um, mm -hmm. So, for example, this woman has hip pain. She has some issues with her spine. And she's really afraid to leave the pool. She can only do pool exercise. Mm -hmm. And so I'm thinking, wow, she's a woman. She's probably at risk for osteoporosis. She mm -hmm. wants to engage various aspects of physical exercise. Pool exercise is a great place where she can be successful. But, you know, she's missing out on a lot of things that occur on land, especially because there's research correlating leg strength to brain health. And so if she's not really getting gravity, ground reaction force, mass and momentum, you know, all those healthy phys physics-related things into her body uh, in those forces, then we probably won't get the tissue adaptations that we need as she ages. You know, just last week, she started dancing twice a week. 
And just last week, she, she expressed an interest in doing Tai Chi. And so hopefully that gives a good perspective of where we would like that's, to move someone. That's wonderful. A lot of people hear about brain games, things like Lumosity or Brain yeah. HQ, mm-hmm. and they also know that exercise has brain benefits. Uh, some of those benefits being the ability to stimulate the creation of new neurons by a process called neurogenesis, the ability to create new blood vessels in the brain, both mm-hmm. in number and, and in size, called mm-hmm. angiogenesis. There's, there's different hormones and neurochemicals that are released. There's a whole array of benefits that come from exercise in relation to brain health. Then there's cognitive stimulation, which has really been shown to be important. And cognitive stimulation could be going to museums, socializing with other people, being able to engage in challenging learning activities like learning the language or be learning uh, certain expertise in a specific domain. That's cognitive so stimulation. It's important to step outside of your comfort zone. I just want to really Oh, absolutely. Think about Mm -hmm. school and work. Mm -hmm. Those Mm -hmm. things have inherent challenge to them. And typically, Mm -hmm. when people get older, there's a point where they just stop. And so the opportunity is, yes, you can encourage people to take up a hobby. But, I mean, you're only going to get so much cognitive stimulation of that to a certain extent. So -hmm. this is where the health and fitness professional and the health coach can really help play a role is if they are going to engage in physical activity with you and you have an understanding that they're not getting as much cognitive stimulation or cognitive training as they should, is it not a great opportunity for you to incorporate that into your session? Research is starting to show that when you combine them together, the cognitive benefits and the physiological benefits in relation to the brain are greater than if you did them alone separately. What would you say to a per- person, and this is very normal, as, as we get older, we tend to want to cling to routine, sameness. So what would you say to somebody about who's really tied to the idea of a having a routine, some stability in their lives? Yeah, so I spoke with a, a patient last week that has been doing the same. Uh, com- I, I told them, hey, a multi-component program is what's needed. They say, great. We do a little bit of cardio, a little bit of weightlifting, and a little bit of flexibility all within one hour. I say, wow, I'm impressed. Tell me more. How long have you been doing this? Oh, I've been doing the same routine for 15 years. Mm-hmm, and my, mm-hmm. my, my eyes go wide. And I say, okay, mm-hmm. do you get your heart rate up during this routine? Are you? And they say, oh, yeah. And I say, all right, well, let me ask this in a different way. Are you out of breath even slightly at any point in the routine? And the, the answer was no. Not only in this person is experiencing mild cognitive impairment, which is it can be a 10 year phase in which it's, it's diagnosable. There's evidence that there's cognitive decline. Um, they've done you know, neurocognitive testing. They've done brain imaging and they can diagnose that this individual has mild cognitive impairment. And it's critical to address that stage because, you know, as depending on lifestyle factors, genetics, a variety of factors, um, you know, they can convert from MCI or mild cognitive impairment to dementia. And so this is where we want to really intervene. And you're more likely as a fitness professional to have people with either subjective cognitive impairment, SCI, or people with mild cognitive impairment, MCI, rather than actually having a, a base of clients with dementia. I'm talking about starting at 45 because that's when the evidence of cognitive decline becomes available to us. And you don't want to wait till you're diagnosed with MCI. 
You don't want to wait till you're diagnosed with the early stages of dementia. You really want to start early because that's where we can make the biggest changes. Well, the other thing, too, I think, is people fall into that trap of familiarity because it's comfortable. You don't have to think about it. You can say to yourself, I am an active person. Mm -hmm. I'm doing this thing three times a week. And so it's something to check off your list and say and not have to worry about it. Right. So absolutely. Absolutely. So I would say people who are in routine is a double edged sword because routine mm -hmm. allows us consistency, which is critical for brain health. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you're on a program, you know, if it's a physical activity program, I'd rather have you keep it than not. If, if you said, hey, you're going to make me change this and I'm going to get rid of my routine completely and we run the risk of me just not exercising, I'm going to say, no, no, keep the routine. Let's just make small incremental changes to the routine, even if it's just going 5% longer or faster or more intense. That's fair. Yeah, exactly. And, and I want to, you know, just bring that back to the idea that that is health coaching. And that's why that process is important as opposed to just telling someone what to do. Um, and I think that's why these go hand in hand. The, these processes of brain healthy exercise prescription with brain health coaching, I think those are critical to each other. You know, research shows you'll get benefits. It's not like you won't get benefits. It's just not the ideal situation for someone who wants to be, you know, aggressively fighting cognitive decline. You mentioned earlier that it's not too early to start at, say, 45. Well, when, when you mentioned that, I thought to myself, well, I'm, I'm a mom. I have um, a late teen and early 20s, two daughters. And sometimes I think to myself, that's a good place to really start. It's not too early, I think, to start the idea of your physical fitness and your mental acuity being intertwined, your brain helping intertwined, especially because they're in college. So what would you say to a younger audience? Because nowadays, as you know, it's very easy to Netflix and chill or <laughs> um, surf Instagram, you know, when you need a break because you've been studying so hard. So what would you say to a younger population about being careful about physical activity? Yeah, I would say that this is the point where you do want to start. And especially in your situation, Nadine, hormones play a significant role in brain health. And women are more are twice as likely to get Alzheimer's disease um, and experience cognitive issues as a result of various factors, hormones being one of those factors. And so I encourage anyone who comes to me, really, it's important to look at hormonal health, especially after or during motherhood. But, you know, the same kind of principles apply to the younger population, which is if you're around or approaching 40, 45 years old, you know, start doing something. But even for someone like me, I'm 27 years old and I have quite severe ADHD. <laughs> I've had mm -hmm. a concussion and I have a very demanding job and I have a lot of social skills and intellectual skills that I need to work on. So I have cognitive goals too. And it, does, it doesn't mean I have to wait for age-related cognitive mm -hmm. issues to start occurring. Mm -hmm. It's any cognitive issues or any desire to improve cognition. Let's say there's, quote unquote, no cognitive issues, but this person works in an executive environment or they're an athlete and they want to optimize their brain function and just get a little bit better. That's applicable. And I, I don't think that's age specific. I don't mm -hmm. because someone could have, I mean, this is very true with 
kids with mothers with ADHD or let's say no ADHD at all, they're just really concerned about their academic performance. They would mm-hmm. do anything to mm-hmm. really, you know, get their brains healthy. And so while we're really focusing on the aging demographic and focusing around brain health, especially in the context of cognitive decline and preventing dementia, um, you know, that's what we're focused on because that's a global issue. Like I said, the same, same principles apply, variety, a multimodal plan, constant challenge, some element of mental demand or cognitive stimulus or cognitive, uh, cognitive engagement, and then being able to, you know, switch things up every few months. I think those principles are true for any age. So would you agree that then it's never too early and it's never too late to exercise for your brain health? 100%. From, you know, based on the research showing how late into life neuroplasticity and um, the neural mechanisms of change still apply, uh, it's never too late. Just 30 years ago, we thought that that was not possible. Now, if they have late stage dementia and you're like, no, 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 neuroplasticity can still happen, you know. It's not that we can't do anything, but you're not going to have as significant of an effect on brain health as if you started with that person when they were 60 or when they had mild cognitive impairment, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's for sure. So there's various factors there. But I would say it's also never too early because your brain's still developing. And, um, you know, I can say that I wish I exercised more. I grew up as a sedentary child playing video games. And video games are very cognitively demanding. In fact, Exer gaming, the com- combination of exercise and gaming, is what started a lot of this research and combined cognitive physical exercise. Mm. And so, you know, I was playing Dance Dance Revolution all through my childhood. So <laughs> I, I don't think it solved all my problems, but I'd like to think it helped. But that's or, or the Nintendo Wii. You know, uh-huh. that's the those are very good examples of a cognitive stimulus with a, a physical stimulus. <laughs> and so for kids, I think it's important to engage in cognitively demanding. Uh, activities such as sports and martial arts and maybe extra gaming because they're going to want to do that anyway. But I wouldn't say it would be for the sake of competition or, you know, if it's going to increase the risk that you get concussion or injuries, try to scale that back. I think people do martial arts and sports and things like that for the wrong reasons or, well, not the wrong reasons, just that society values achievements and competition and those types of things. But I'm talking about engaging those activities for brain health. And so many kids and even adults are afraid to engage in things like martial arts or sports for brain benefits because they attach it to the social anxiety around, am I good enough, which comes from competition? Will I hurt myself? Uh, Mm -hmm. Will I be able to contribute to the team, which is more social pressure? But if we removed all of that and we just mimicked those activities or did those activities, and they met the person's skill level in, in terms of their challenge that they're providing, I don't see why those couldn't be a great strategy for improving brain health at any age. To conclude, what is your personal definition of what it means to be healthy? Yeah, I, I would say my personal definition of what it means to be healthy is that we are moving towards the betterment of various aspects of our lives whether it be physical, emotional, what some people might refer to as spiritual or psychological, it, it would be mental as well. And so if we can address all those areas, and I think people get upset because, once again, the better beats perfect conversation, people get upset because they're not perfect or they feel like they're not reaching their ideal. I would say just the betterment of those things is important. So if you're trying to better yourself 
in all those domains at, in at least one way. Uh, and sometimes you can better yourself in, in many of those domains all at the same time with certain activities, then mm -hmm. I, I think we're moving towards health. Thank you so very much for sharing your time. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And now it's time for practical tips. Mind, body, and spirit tip. In this episode, one of the key take-home messages is that of variety. Variety is important in your daily life because it's really good for your brain. If you're not sure, get help. You can go to a personal trainer. You can find a health coach who will help you figure out individual strategies for sustainable, healthy life changes. Recall that dementia is not guaranteed at the end of life. It's up to you to make healthy choices every day to take good care of your brain and your body. Thanks for being here. See you next time.